Coming up next on the Safety Matters podcast from Reliance Partners, we will be talking about the latest trends in the world of cargo theft, including how cargo thieves are leveraging technology to steal a growing variety of commodities. Here's a preview featuring Chad Eichelberger, the president of Reliance Partners. History has told us in this space that once they realize where they can hit and how they can hit, that they're going to hit faster. And I think today what's happened is when they find this and when they do compromise you, we're seeing more and more situations of 10, 20 plus loads than before it would be they would bite off a load or two at a time and they had to have the personnel to handle it and to figure out how that was gonna work. And maybe the driver had to be in on it. Maybe the shipper, the receiver, or a third-party warehouse had to be in on it. Now nobody has to be in on it. Now they can impersonate everybody. Welcome back to Safety Matters, the podcast series from Reliance Partners. Hello, everyone. I'm Tom Albrecht, the Chief Financial Officer and Chief Revenue Officer at Reliance Partners, and I'm your host for our podcast, which is serving as a companion to the Safety Matters webinar series from Reliance. As you heard in our opening, we are going to examine cargo theft and its many iterations. While technology and automated processes have delivered a long list of efficiencies and savings for trucking and logistics companies, many of those same technologies are being used for nefarious purposes by cargo thieves and theft rings. And today we are joined by Chad Eichelberger, the president of Reliance Partners and Scott Cornell of Travelers Insurance. Chad, in his role at Reliance Partners and over the course of his career, has had all sorts of experiences around cargo theft and cargo theft prevention. Scott specializes in the areas of crime and theft claims, as well as prevention strategies. In the first part of our conversation, we will discuss common fraud and theft tactics, including double brokering, demand for payment, and how to spot fake documents. And now it's time to meet our guest. And Scott, why don't you start us off? Thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. So for myself, I've been around trucking actually since I was 18. My first job out of high school was working in a warehouse and then I ended up driving a straight truck and then I drove flatbed through college and it just kind of kept going from there. So I've been here at Travelers for 22 years. I've been leading transportation since 2015, but I've been around cargo theft for about 27 or 28 years. My background is in investigations and specifically specializing in cargo theft investigations and supply chain security for several decades now. That's great. Chad? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Currently, I'm president of Reliance Partners. Obviously, we're in the commercial transportation insurance space. I've actually known Scott a long time. So prior to this, I was at a 3PL called Access America Transport, where I was president. That business we exited in 2014 at Coyote Logistics. I was president of brokerage at Coyote Logistics prior to joining Reliance Partners and have known Scott for probably north of 13, 14 years and happy to be on and always enjoy these conversations. Conversations. Well, we're looking forward to a great conversation. Willie Sutton is a famous bank robber from the 1920s and 1930s. One time he was asked, why do you rob the banks? And he said, well, it's where the money is. So gentlemen, are trailers the new banks for thieves? In other words, really what's changed in the last 18 to 24 months where this has gone from a problem to more of an epidemic? Chad, you want to start us off? Yeah, I think obviously a couple of things have changed. The dynamics of the industry, obviously, the marketplace has been in a little bit of state of turmoil following COVID where we saw unprecedented spikes. Now we are seeing just a period of time where rates are compressed and you obviously have that factor. 
Two, I think you have the emergence of a lot of really great solutions for offshoring, whether it be dispatching, whether it be any type of back office work. Voice over IP has become the standard in our space where 10 years ago, it was really the larger freight brokerages and motor carriers had that. So at this point, you can participate in our industry from anywhere in the world. So I think you've had the convergence of this. Obviously, you've had the growth of freight brokers, which has created a great opportunity for small and mid-sized fleets to also have a access to a good number of resources and different ways to take advantage of that from a revenue perspective. But at the same time, you've had the emergence of these players that are now preying on this space and they see an opportunity and certainly are attacking that. And I mean, Scott and I have both talked about about this a lot. And I'm sure from his perspective, he's seen probably a hundred different ways it's happening. Yeah, I would pretty much dovetail into what Chad is saying, which I think has a lot to do with the introduction of some of the technologies and the systems that have been introduced into the supply chain that are really designed to make the supply chain more efficient, to really bring ease of use, so to speak, to the supply chain. We always talk about how in America, everything has to be instant, right? We want everything when we want it, we want it right away. So the supply chain has always tried to find ways to keep up with that demand. Well, unfortunately, a lot of the same things that the supply chain has put in place to make itself faster and more efficient are the exact same things that the cargo thieves are able to take advantage of. So when you talk about voice over IPs and the ability to do this from anywhere, load boards, all those scenarios create a situation that the cargo thieves see as an opportunity. So we see them as efficiencies, they see them as opportunities. Chad made a comment about you can be anywhere and participate in the supply chain. Well, the problem also becomes now you can be anywhere and participate in cargo theft. So we're seeing a lot of increased international involvement in cargo theft over the past several years. So when you talk about why the big explosion of it, well, it's ease of use, ease of committee. It's also supply and demand. It's the old-fashioned supply and demand. One of the things I'm always asked is what does the economy have to do with cargo theft? It will have a slight impact on volume, but it more dictates what's being stolen and why it's being stolen than it does how much of it's being stolen. When it comes to the international portion of it, if we were doing this six, seven years ago, I would tell you six or seven out of every 10 loads stolen would be found here somewhere in the United States, whether it was being sold online or at a flea market or being sold in bulk. We were chasing most of it here in the U.S., it's flipped. Now, I would tell you six out of every 10 loads is moving out of the country unless it's highly perishable. That creates an international market for these stolen goods. And an international market is certainly much bigger than a domestic market. So there's a demand there that's increased. So all that comes into play to create the perfect storm for why are we having these big increases. Scott, let's go with that just a little bit more. It's become more of an international problem, trying to get our domestic freight, if you will. Does that mean primarily Mexico and Canada, or is it really beyond North America as well? No, it's over in Europe, Eastern Europe. There's some in Mexico, there's some in South America. It really has become more of a global situation. As long as I've been a cargo theft expert, one of the things, if you will, that an expert has always said is, hey, tell me what's being stolen. Tell me where it was stolen. I'll tell you where it's going. It's always been kind of a skill set that you develop. That used to be much easier. It used to be, hey, if it was stolen in Memphis, it was going to Florida. If it was stolen anywhere up the East Coast, it was going down to Florida. Now, okay, it's going to Florida, but where is it going after that? That's becoming a much more muddled picture than it has been in the past. Years ago, we used to talk about how stolen cell phone loads would go to South America pretty quickly. They'd try and get them to Florida, they'd get them out to the port of Miami and down to South America somewhere where they would flip them and sell them. We would see some started up here in the U.S., but the bulk of them would go to South America. 
Now it all depends. It all depends on what ring is stealing it. It's not as dependent on where it was stolen or what was stolen. It's more dependent on which ring is stealing it and where do they have ties to. So does this suggest that the vetting process has fallen behind the times with traditional vetting around credentials, insurance? Chad, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know you've talked to a lot of freight brokers and their practices, where they've been and maybe where they're headed. I think it's ever evolving. And if you're not adjusting your carrier vetting process, that's where we're going to run into problems. History has told us in this space that once they realize where they can hit and how they can hit, that they're going to hit faster. And I think today what's happened is when they find this and when they do compromise you, we're seeing more and more situations of 10, 20 plus loads than before. It would be they would bite off a load or two at a time and they had to have the personnel to handle it and to figure out how that was going to work. And maybe the driver had to be in on it. Maybe the shipper, the receiver, or a third-party warehouse had to be in on it. Now nobody has to be in on it. Now they can impersonate everybody. So I think carrier vetting, as we look at that today, you look at different things you're doing, you've got to be adjusting to be able to understand the tactics that they change. And once they do find a weakness, they're going to hit again and again. And when you shut it down, they're going to disappear. But then a new tactic emerges, and they're going to take that and pressure test everybody again. You're going to keep getting tested until you plug that hole and then they're going to hit everybody else and then they're going to circle back and do it again. So I think we've seen that repeatedly more so than any time in the past that there's a lot more force and certainly a lot more ability to do this and to do it remotely where before you feared a theft at a truck stop. You have all these resources to kind of protect against that and you know where you should and shouldn't stop from a that perspective. But today, this can literally happen anywhere in the country. And if a broker is not constantly refining their carrier vetting, there are third-party services out there that are doing a good job looking at ways to verify identity, looking at ways to detect who is going to commit fraud. So I think right now, the more defenses you can put up, the better. Scott, other advice do you give for people to improve their vetting process? Well, Chad's spot on. I'll just go a little deeper into some of the things that he said. So in the cargo theft world, we've always said it's a constant chess match. They monitor what we do as an industry as much as we monitor what they do. So we monitor what they do. We see what they do. We see how they attack the supply chain and go after the cargo. We adjust. As an example, we'll go out and work with our clients, teach them how to prevent those types of thefts. We see what they're doing today. We have our cargo theft investigation teams. We hear from them every day what's happening at that ground level. We float that up to our clients. Our clients will make the adjustments and two, three months later, the thieves will adjust to those adjustments. They monitor us as much as we monitor them. And it's always been that way. It's ongoing. Chad mentioned there are third party organizations, third party companies coming out that'll help you vet your carriers and help you verify the carriers. The cargo thieves know that those companies are here now. So they're going to continue to pressure test that, as Chad said, see where they can find the weaknesses, the chinks in the armor. This sudden shift to the strategic theft over the straight theft is a great example. They saw more aggressive pursuit of protecting the physical tractor and trailer out there. They saw law enforcement dedication. If you go back just a few years, Georgia had the GBI Cargo Theft Task Force, probably one of the best task forces in the country. They had 10 to 14 investigators, depending on the year you were talking about. They were breaking up organized group after organized group, and they were cooperating very heavily with the Miami-Dade Task Force. There were some great results going on there. Well, what's the adjustment to that? Well, the adjustment to that is I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there at the truck stop stealing the trailer. I don't want to be there at the warehouse stealing the trailer. So how do I make that adjustment? Well, I learned how to steal it remotely. So now I can sit at a computer 
I don't even have to be in the United States. I can be in some other country and I can steal the load virtually wherever it is and I'm not on site. So all I have to do is disappear virtually if things get hot or I think somebody's on to me. And they're very brash about it. It was talked about yesterday at the TAPA conference that I was at, where even when they're discovered, when they're called out on the phone, hey, I think you're scamming me or I think you're doing this, they will come right out and say, yep, and I'm going to keep trying to steal your freight. I'm going to keep coming after your stuff. And then they hang up. That's astonishing, the brashness of it. Another angle, it's probably just in the last year, year and a half, the bad guys, they're going on to the FMCSA website, changing contact information. First of all, how are they doing this? How prevalent is this? Scott or Chad, which of you want to grab that? Because it didn't used to be that way. I would take one step back and say that what they're doing is purchasing MC numbers. Tom, you're very aware of the current economy in transportation industry. Chad, you and I talk about this frequently, right? You're seeing a lot of the smaller onesies, twosies, close up shop, go out of business, go back to being a contract carrier or working for somebody. These rings will approach people or have somebody approach people. Hey, we'll buy your MC number and your sign-ons and things like that. So when you say they're going on the FMCSA website, they're going on there as the new owner of the MC number. And then they change the contact information. So what happens is they sell that. They keep everything else the same. They just change the contact information. And then they'll commit theft with that MC number that they've just recently acquired. They'll commit as many thefts as they can before it gets posted everywhere that, hey, be aware this MC number is tied to this group or has had numerous amount of thefts. And they'll move on to the next one. One of the things I always talk about is cargo thieves are really great at ROI. They understand ROI. If I spend $5,000 to steal six loads at $150,000, I'm doing pretty well. And the $5,000 seed money that they need came from the previous six loads that they stole. So it's not like they're making a personal investment into this. That's what you're seeing with that. We hear about it from motor carriers. And I think just the frequency of that happening and even talking and hearing from our team members that have interacted with our customers and the number of offers that they get that are out of the blue to purchase their MC number. And along with that, sometimes subsequently, they want to log into any of the freight brokers' websites, your load board. Hey, I'll keep paying your insurance. Just don't make another payment. By the way, can I have your email address? And then suddenly they're in business and what was a reputable carrier that may have been vetted by any number of third-party services suddenly is now rogue. Maybe they can even go online and take these and they're not even in the U.S. They have no intention in a lot of those cases, not always, Scott, we talked about that, but of making a payment on that insurance and they hit really quick they disappear and they actually did make a legitimate payment to the former owner per se of the company. But in reality, this was not a formal sale of the business. This was an illegitimate, typically paid through a third party payment app and the motor carrier puts it in their pocket and he or she knows they're going to be turning in their truck anyways. They don't want the truck. They literally just want that active authority, even if it's going to be active for another three weeks. That's enough time to do a lot of damage. Chad makes a great point about it. For the person selling that MC number, they may have no idea. It's not uncommon for it to be a legitimate approach to purchase an MC number as well, right? So you don't know if you're not going to use that MC number again and somebody's going to offer you five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000, get rid of it. Well, and you think about the climate of the last 12 months as the freight market went from at one point red hot, then normalized, okay, a little bit of a slump, and then nasty. In this nasty stage of the last nine to 12 months, People are really desperate for some sort of cash after they gave it their best during this cycle. So seeing more of those sold than would have been sold in 21 when things were red hot. 
There's a question from the audience here that says, what specific things do you as a service do to vet for fraudulent carriers? I don't know if we want to address that now or when we kind of talk about some of the red flags, but I think maybe in the spirit of it, we'll have that in our mind as we march forward. Let's kind of shift it a little bit to some red flags. And this is by no means totally comprehensive, but there are things that folks have talked about. So Chad, if you were on the freight brokerage side and someone called in 10, 15 days to get a load, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, I think booking far in advance, not negotiating on rates, especially generally speaking, like a newer entrant to the market, yep. taking a load that's seven or 10 days out in advance just seems a little bit odd. It's a call in, you've posted an unload board and they don't negotiate very much. Maybe they ask questions about the commodity or the value of the load. They want to know where it's picking up from. They're anxious to get the load confirmation. In a lot of cases, even closer in, the driver might call in for the pickup number on that shipment prior to you even sending a load confirmation. Like all of those things are red flags. And oftentimes you've got, depending on the setup of a freight brokerage, whether it's cradle to grave or split by sell, I think oftentimes the carriers that you don't work with frequently, there's certainly more risk there because you don't have an established relationship. But anybody, anytime you're using a motor carrier for the first time, anytime you're vetting them initially, that's where you've got to really put your defenses up. But you also can't take for granted the numbers of ways that you can be deceived through impersonation, new contact names. There's so many ways we're seeing this happen. So I would say the red flag though, initially, failure to negotiate. They call in. If you've got a way to look at the voice over IP, where that's coming from, you call them, carrier back, and somebody else answers and they're not there. Any number of ways that kind of raise the caution flags. Scott, do you want to add to that or did Chad cover it all? Well, Chad's biggest point that there's a ton of them is the most accurate part. All the things he said were accurate, but the thing that jumps out at you is, as we sit here today, the number of red flags is tenfold. We've talked about this. They say we can take six or seven loads, but you go on yeah. their FMCSA profile and it says they have two trucks. Okay, well, how are you going to handle six or seven loads? They say that they operate across the U.S., but they only have inspections in the Southeast. There's various software systems out there where you can run reports on the trucking companies and it may say that they have box trucks, but they're trying to pick up a full truckload. They don't have any inspections. They say they've been in business for six months, eight months, a year, two years. They don't have any inspections. How do you not have any inspections? Six, eight, 20 different MC numbers. Is there a number where you start to get concerned there? I mean, we've all seen articles in the last year. I forget some town out west where the population of the town was like 11,000 and somehow there were over 50,000 motor carriers. Yeah. I think all those things are details that you have to take a look at now. I think Pay close attention as a freight broker. If you have a carrier packet that you ask them to fill out, pay close attention to the information that they put in that carrier packet. Does it say that their location is in North Carolina, but the phone number comes back to Miami or it's a virtual phone number and it's out of the country? One of the things we see them do quite often, if they don't get the person's email when they buy the MC number, let's say the old owner was chad at abctrucking.com. They'll create an email that's similar, which will be chad.abctrucking at you name it.com. So it looks pretty similar, but it's actually not similar. It doesn't have that same domain ending. Pay close attention to the carrier packet. One of the things I talk about sometimes is there's almost a million trucking companies registered in the United States. If somebody doesn't want to provide all the information you need in your carrier packet, 
move on to the next trucking company. If you have to drag the information on them, if they don't want to provide you with certain information, that might be a red flag. There's a ton of them, as Chad said. So I think I'm hearing in part that a lot of the information that we would have taken at face value five or 10 years ago probably needs to be looked at just a little bit longer. Has the email domain been changed by a letter or two? The number of MCs behind that phone number. There's just a lot of things that you didn't have to look at with a suspicious eye. The folks that are succeeding and winning this battle are spending a little bit of extra time to make sure they're not being gamed up front. Chad, you mentioned the lack of negotiation on rates, which is really kind of odd because if you think about it, the rates stink right now. You'd think somebody would want to be asking for an extra 50 or $150 per load. And if rate's not an issue, maybe it's not part of the vetting, but it should be high alert. Can you expound on that? Yeah, I think just given the current environment and given any environment, frankly, it's just the general nature, unless you're in an environment where it's a repeat motor carrier that yep. is taking that Chicago to St. Louis lane every Wednesday for this amount there's generally some negotiation that happens. And obviously there's certain platforms out there today in our space that's not as prevalent, but either way, we typically see negotiation where they're gonna try to gain more. So it's like suddenly nothing happens there. They're quick to wanna get the information. They get the information and we've heard about this actually a couple of times in the past couple of weeks, I've heard this. They're going and even getting the load and maybe trying to get it well in advance. Mm -hmm. They have the pickup number. Truck falls off the load. They call back and cancel it. You don't think anything about it as the freight broker, but maybe they've done this to several loads coming out of a particular area. They do it over a few weeks. There's some TMS systems that may not even document that the truck's fallen off. I know a lot of them do, but suddenly they have these old confirmations they've canceled. Those confirmations are as good as having the load. So when you send them that confirmation, that's as good as an active load still in their mind. They're going to show up a little bit early or they're going to have somebody else show up a little bit early. It's going to be double brokered, probably, maybe. They've got all the information they need to get the load. And when the legitimate carrier shows up and the load's not there, how did this get stolen? It adds a level of murkiness to what's happening out there. So we've seen more of that, but certainly lack of negotiation, days in advance, very interested in quick pay options, any number of things that just kind of raise a red flag that say this may not be a legitimate motor carrier. This may be a carrier that we shouldn't out of the gates have given them a $150,000 shipment. And a lot of times asking about the commodity and wanting detail, oh, that's coming out of so-and-so as to kind of let you say, yeah, that is actually coming out of the copper facility in this particular market. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, I've hauled out of it before. I'll take that load. So a listener just emailed, we've seen examples of a carrier or carriers that have been inspected, but the FMCSA has not posted the inspection. It may have occurred some time ago. Have either of you heard that the FMCSA is way behind in getting inspections updated? I have not heard that, no. I'm not surprised to hear it, but yeah, we're one step back from the front line. We're supporting our customers who are actually dealing with the carriers, but they may have heard of it. So let's talk about something that's been a real positive for companies, but also represents a bit of a challenge, and that is third-party dispatch services. We know it's difficult to get good labor here in the United States. We know why outsourcing has occurred and all that, but it also may be creating some issues that the old verification process is not up to snuff. 
So Chad, let me just throw it your way. Do you believe that brokers and motor carriers should have as part of their questioning to ask whether it's a third-party dispatch service and or any other advice around that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's essential. I think when you're setting up who is authorized and you verify those sources that are authorized and you have those contacts as part of that, those contacts may change too. And it's important to stay up to date when there's a new contact or any type of change in phone number, email address, information on FMCSA, any of those things should tip you off that you need to vet that motor carrier further. And there are reputable dispatch services out there. We obviously insure a large number of motor carriers as well, who are also like the freight brokers struggling. Oftentimes we even see them, the motor carrier and the freight broker, and nobody knows who's right. And I don't even know if either party knows who's right, because either party could have been impersonated, but the dispatch services add another layer into that. So it is another instance where fraud can be perpetrated. You've got to be able to vet that motor carrier, and you should honestly treat that dispatch service and that contact as an extension of the motor carrier. But I think from time to time, that contact, the motor carrier could lose. They could have been previously represented by that dispatch service, and they no longer are. So to me, there's always got to be this level of transparency and communication back to the actual carrier, as opposed to relying on a third party. That's Reliance Partners President Chad Eichelberger with his closing observations on this episode of the Safety Matters podcast. I'd like to thank Chad and our other guest, Scott Cornell from Travelers Insurance. Both Chad and Scott will be returning for our next episode of Safety Matters when we continue our conversation covering cargo theft. When Chad and Scott return to the podcast, we will discuss red flags and prevention strategies that can help reduce losses and claims. Reliance Partners is here to help. In fact, we created this Safety Matters podcast and webinar series to serve as a resource to the trucking and logistics industry. Safety Matters is a platform designed to help our motor carrier friends in their efforts to be safer and to be compliant with all of the various trucking regulations. Before we close out this edition of the Safety Matters podcast, I want to tell you a little bit about Reliance Partners. Reliance is the largest independent insurance agency solely focused on trucking and logistics. Our entire team appreciates the important role that trucking and logistics plays within the American economy, and we are absolutely dedicated to this industry. Folks, let's talk about how to connect with Reliance Partners, because it's very easy. You can follow us on all the socials, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all at Reliance Partners to stay up to date. Especially keep an eye on LinkedIn for announcements on when our next episodes will be airing. Just search Reliance Partners. Also, don't forget to visit our website at www.reliancepartners.com. There you can explore everything we have to offer from requesting a quote to viewing our comprehensive range of services beyond safety. Once again, thank you for spending part of your day with us on the Safety Matters podcast. Now, we would like to invite you to become a regular listener to the podcast by subscribing to Safety Matters on your podcast platform of choice. You can find the podcast by searching Reliance Partners on all of the major podcast outlets. And by becoming a subscriber to the podcast, you will be notified each time we release a new episode. And you'll also have an opportunity to rate the podcast and to share your feedback with us. And finally, as our podcast title says, safety matters. So on behalf of the entire team at Reliance Partners, let's stay safe out there.